Hey everybody, welcome back to This List Sucks. How are y'all doing? It's a weird night of the week. It is. It's not Friday. It's not Friday. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. We apologize for the delay. Thanks for the patience though. I think it's worth it. I mean, I think so too. Yeah. It's, listen, even if it's not worth it for the listeners because we've now fucked up potentially some of their um, so weekend their routine, it's, it's worth it for us. It's worth it for us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we come first. Listen, <laughs> listeners mean nothing to us. Like, our wills and desires and wishes will always topple that of the listeners. <laughs> We're kidding, of course. But uh, we decided that it was worth it to wait a couple days so that we could record in person. Yeah. Just because it's more fun for us and... We do feel like the product is a little better, you know, in the end. Not well, that it's not good, uh, you know, otherwise. But. Yeah, but quality control. It's yeah. so much easier to have really good quality control whenever we're doing this live yeah. together than it is whenever you're trying to control things that can't be controled, like internet connections exactly. and latency I was and everything else. Helps us hedge against technical difficulties and things like that that might otherwise happen. So two days, we could do it in person. We decided it was worth it. It was worth it. Worth the gamble. Uh, we did get to end up getting a new Music Friday in. Oh, what'd you check out? Um, I so I kind of did what ended up, what I thought was going to be kind of a deep cut because I scrolled through um quite a bit of new music before I saw that Tosh Sultana released mm. a new record. I'm so unfamiliar with her. I know who she is, and she played at um one of the big festivals here in Des Moines hinterland a couple years ago, or maybe last maybe last time it occurred because it got canceled in 2020. Obviously, like yeah. everything else. Yep. But uh, she's like a looper, right? She does a lot of looping stuff, at least in her live shows. I'm assuming I've never gone to the live show, but it's kind of been the same way. I know that she's been at Bonnaroo. And so I was exposed to some of her earlier material because I was, you know, when Bonnaroo lineups come out, you kind of have to pregame for everybody until the schedule drops. And then, you know, yeah. who you're going to see and who you're not going to see. And so I checked her out as part of, you know, as part of due diligence for a, for a Bonnaroo one year. And I dug her earlier stuff, but it was something that whenever the name came up, I was like, oh, let's revisit this. Because it wasn't anything. I didn't end up seeing her live at that yeah. Bonnaroo because of conflicts. And then I the you know, her earlier stuff just kind of dropped off of my plate. But but I checked it out and you know, if something is worth listening to, then I'll go ahead and spin the whole thing. And I did. And then I was in the record store yesterday looking around at records and they actually had it on vinyl and I picked it up. Like I was looking the newest at one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's what I said too. I was like, wow, man, this just kind of just came out and I thought about buying it, but I ended up, I ended up buying other older shit. Yeah. I liked more. Yeah. What'd you snag? <laughs> this is such a guilty pleasure, but I don't mind sharing it because I really, really love, um, Faith No More is album Angel Dust. Are you familiar? Okay, I mean, a little bit. So it was the album that they released right after The Real Thing, which has Epic and their cover of War Pigs. And I mean, everybody knows Epic, right? That was when the world discovered how fucking weird Mike Patton is. <laughs> but his true, just like just total bizarre, outright terrifying genius comes to full fruition on Angel Dust, I believe. Which was the LP released after that. And you see, you got that. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, and I love it. And it's funny because, you know, it's definitely a metal album, and my wife doesn't always dig onto all metal albums, but I've thrust Angel Dust upon her enough that we actually spun the whole disc last night. Wow. And she was you totally on it. Yeah, she was totally down with it too. Because he does just like there's a couple of songs that are so fucking far out there, but he's tying into stuff, you know, that everybody can kind of relate to it. Like lyrically? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's a weird guy. A really fucking weird well, guy. Well, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. But good guitar work from from Jim Martin. Like Jim Martin's always a good listen on guitar and and they just do really fun stuff on that album. Well, bizarre, bizarrely fun stuff on that record. But I also picked right up on. Amy Winehouse. Back to black? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I couldn't pass it up. And that one was cheap. I mean, for a new vinyl for being twenty I think it was twenty one or twenty two bucks or something like that. Yeah, it's a steal. Impossible to pass up. Do you up. have Adele on vinyl? Not yet. But if Ooh. I see it, I'll get it. I'll get it. Especially after revisiting that album. It's a really, really it was good, good one. It was good. I would buy them both on vinyl. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about vinyl last week, but I would I would do them both. Yeah. I, well, I already did Amy Winehouse and if I and if I run across Adele, I will I will pick it up. But Absolutely. I also picked up uh, I picked up Dr. Dre, picked up The Chronic, which is an album that we'll we'll get to on this list at some bet, point in time. I bet pretty high. I tend to agree with you. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. What do you think this is a little off topic, but the highest hip hop record on the list. Do you think it's The Chronic? I wouldn't be surprised. Do you think it's one of NWAs? I think probably. I think it's NWA. Straight out of Compton. I think it has to be straight out of Compton. Probably. Yeah. If not, it could be. I could see that being a Snoop record too. I was gonna say it's either Doggy Style. I could see Doggy Style, or it's the Chronic, or it's NWA. Um, what about a I'm Kanye? Surprised. Do you think Kanye might be the number? What if Kanye was considering what? the release the year this was? This is brand new, and the you know the age of of the input that was 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 on this list. The recency uh, bias too, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of what it meant. Yeah, yeah, you put it better than I did. But uh, which one do you think? Like graduation? Well, if it were up to me, it would be my beautiful dark twisted dark fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, that's that to me is pinnacle Kanye. Either that or Jesus. But Jesus is so bizarre, and it's. I actually think Jesus is going to be if it's even on this list because I could see Jesus not being on this list at all. But if it is, I think it's going to be one of the one of the more lower ranked cuts of his. You think he has more than one? On this list, I thought that I thought that there was I thought that there was a spoiler. Maybe there was. I believe that he has brace yourself. I believe that I heard somebody at some point in time tell me that he has six albums on this. No list. fucking way. That's just gonna <laughs> piss me off. And I like Kanye West. I like Kanye too, and I'm with you because because if that does end up holding true, which I believe that it does hold true. Um, Fuck. That's totally ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking over. Six records. <laughs> Basically. Considering half. some of these snubs. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, right? Yeah. Considering some of the snubs that we've already seen. And I like Kanye too. I think he's super talented, but What were you gonna say? Basically half? Well, I mean, it's it that would be well over half of all the material that he's ever released. Yeah, definitely. Like right? in terms of like, LPs. Yeah, it'd be yeah. like seventy five percent of the LPs that he's ever released, maybe more. Wow. He might have like a similar percentage of his material on this list that the Beatles that the have. Be- yeah. <laughs> that's, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. 
which would be crazy. He's basically rap's version of the Beatles. Yeah. But listen, if you're going to have something like that, I'd much rather it be Kanye than fucking Drake or somebody like that. I hope there's no Drake on here. How many, but in terms of percentage of catalog, do you think, I mean, if Kanye does have six albums, he has to be the number one in terms of percentage of catalog, but, but outcast outcast is a band in terms of hip hop specifically or yeah, specifically to hip hop. Yeah. Um, I would have said Tupac, but well, actually I bet like, I bet Biggie has Biggie had like what? Two albums. Fuck. Actually. Yeah, you're right. And he has at least one. So, you know. yeah, because if both if both of Biggie's albums are on here, then then, yeah, it's pretty much going to be. Biggie. He's got 100 <laughs> percent. He has 100 <laughs> percent. Do you think? Yeah, I bet there's at least another Tupac on here, too. I hope so. Yeah, that I don't know. the answer. Which he doesn't have that many records either. So more than Biggie, though. Yeah, I mean, he's got four or five LPs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tupacalypse Now, All Eyes on Me, Machiavelli, Machiavelli. The Seven Day Theory. Yeah. Um, Tupacalypse Now. Which one was Brenda had a baby on? Is that uh, on Tupacalypse Now? I don't know. I'm just going to stop making commentary about what songs appear on record because especially listeners out there, I made the comment um, during the last show that um, this week's pick of um, Dire Straits, Brother Than Arms had Sultans of Swing on it. No, it doesn't. Thank God it doesn't. I'm a moron. JB didn't it's have okay. to... It was- he didn't have to endure that. Song. No, it was good because it was like a pleasant surprise. So, like Mike told me, it was on there, and so when I saw that it he wasn't, I was me. like, "Sweet!" Like this just brightened my day. It's like, thank God I don't have to listen to that cheap, shitty guitar lick that sounds really cool, but it's a fucking joke. Cheap thrills. What about you? Did you explore anything? Pick up any new vinyl? Do anything cool musically? You know. um, no, I wish I had something more exciting to say than that, but I didn't really listen to a lot of new music. I had a busy week, you know, and uh, didn't get to do the new music, didn't stop at any record stores, and I wish my answer was more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but I can make something up, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to. I did borrow like nine Flaming Lips records from a friend of mine did and you? a listener of the show, so I've been listening to those a little bit. Nice. So, Which one have you been drilling I into? I listened to Yoshimi a couple times because that's the one I listened to a little bit. And uh, I spun the soft bulletin once. But that was like my first listen on that. So, What was your first take? What was your hot take on the soft bulletin? It was kind of in the background, to tell you the truth. So I didn't really like give it its full due. But uh, And that's so much better on headphones too. And that is, so my, my friend that, that lent me those, that's Bryce. Which he'll be an eventual guest. Yes. On this list. I play in a band with Bryce and that's his favorite one. The soft bulletin. Yeah. So, um, I believe, um, friend of the show, Lee Stamper, soft bulletin might be Lee Stamper's favorite one as well. I don't want to speak out of turn, but I feel pretty confident in saying that. Like of, of only Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Of only Lee. Go out and visit. If you haven't recently hot new vids up on yeah. only Lee. He's always putting new stuff. I, I think he's live streaming right now. Actually, oh, I hope so. not. Yeah, I don't want to miss it, but... I know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> what do you say? Should we get into the list? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so again, we always recap. For those who are unaware, this is a podcast where we talk shit about lists of all kinds, and this 
the big list we've been going through for several months now is Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And we've made it all the way to number 420. That's where we're starting today. Uh, 420. So, yes, they were hitting 420 through 416. And there's a good record from today. There's one really shitty one, but then there's four good ones. Spoiler alert. Not every not everybody might think that there was that there was one shitty one this week, but we invite you to we stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you just might be a little disappointed on the commentary from uh, some of the yeah. albums this week. Um, but starting off with number 420, released in 1975, we're going to talk about Earth, Wind & Fire's album, That's the Way of the World. Before he got into African thumb piano and otherworldly philosophizing, founder Maurice White was a session drummer at Chess Studios. That's him on Fontanella Bass's Rescue Me. He stayed behind the kit as he led Earth, Wind & Fire. Their sixth album is make-out music of the spheres incorporating doo-wop, jazz, and African music into a sound that's sleek but never too slick. The title track is one of funk's most gorgeous ballads, and Shining Star is a 70s self-help seminar delivered over one of the decade's sweetest grooves. What do you think about this guy? Well, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire, so I'm pretty much default gonna love it. You know, <laughs> um, definitely a big Earth, Wind, and Fire fan. This is an incredible record. Just, I mean, much like any of their of the of their records. Was I, there I any, say. Were there any touchstones on this record for you? Just in terms of like pop culture touchstones that stood out. Hmm. Are you fishing for one? No, is there one you were thinking of? Yeah, there was one that, like, as soon it's the very first track. The very first track to me um, stood out because it's they they use that song in Superbad, okay, the yeah. movie with Judd Apatow. For some reason, I was like, "There's no way that's what he's talking about." Yes, <laughs> but that's absolutely. what I was thinking of too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When um, not Seth Rogen, but um, what the fuck um. Uh, Jonah Hill. Yeah, when Jonah yeah. Hill Is borrows that, the clothes yep. from Michael Sarah's dad's and they're getting on the bus. He's yeah. like, "Yeah, hey, we can go see what my dad has." <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude! And the, and like, and it shows him just strutting, and it's yeah, it's shining star. So wonderful. yeah, what does he say? He's like, "You have any kids that are clothes that are gonna fit me, or do you only shop at Kids Gap or something like that?" <laughs> baby Gap. Get yeah, baby Gap. <laughs> such a great line but no that movie soon, is awesome yeah <laughs> and as soon as i put that on like as soon as that like that big horn comes out at the top of that song yeah like, it instantly <laughs> took me back there and i was like oh fuck yeah dude i can get down with this isn't that on the little intro thing. too like the like the title sequence possibly it's it, yeah. they could use it in multiple spots in the movie that's funny that you mentioned that because like when you said that i that's what occurred to me and i was like that's not what he's talking about oh but, fuck yeah that's exactly what it I was, was yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I love that song. So good. I mean, the vocals on this record, too, are just like perfect 70s funk vocals. Like, yeah. it doesn't get more, like, when you imagine 70s, like, that's like the, the quintessential, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, at least. Africano, which is oh, a deeper cut in the album, but it's all instrument. And um, and it starts off, like, there's this, there's this jazz flute that's playing over the top of it in the beginning, and that's really, really fun and cool. But then about a minute 20 into that song, fuck, it just becomes like this filthy little funk party where you get all these that like the keys and the horns and the drums, like they all lay it on. 
Yeah, in terms of the, the keys, it has like the clavinet, which is like I'm just a sucker for. I'm a sucker for a lot of things, as you guys know. But <laughs> but clavinet is one of them. Like yes. a funky clavinet with a wah wah pedal. Yep, just does it for me every yeah. time. And yep. that's they got that there. But it's like funk, but it's also kind of world musicy. I mean, it's kind of yeah. in the title, but yep. Um, yeah, and the sax solo on that one. The Holy shit, money. dude! It's really really killer what the sax does on that track. Really really good. That one stood out to me. That one stood out to me as well. Um, also, just because I'm, I'm a music nerd, See the Light, which is the last track. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yes. So that was in seven. That was in the seven time signature. Was it really? So seven, yeah. I'm terrible at picking measure. that shit out. The trumpet, on, the trumpet on See the Light really, really crushed. It almost had like a wall of sound type mm-hmm. of feel to it, right? Like this really really big wall of sound but not a shitty one like what phil specter was doing with fake like strings a, like nonsense. a good one yeah yeah big beautiful good wall of sound yeah and that had that that had some timing changes in it too so that was like a seven like a fast like seven eight kind of groove but then it like slowed down to a four four thing and it went back and forth a couple of times yeah here's the thing there was no part of this record that i could ever complain about no it's just there wasn't anything that I disliked on this record. There were some that's there were some tracks that stood out a little bit more in my mind than other tracks. Um, but above and listen, it's just really good. It's really, yes. really good. The vocals are wonderful. There's a beautiful falsetto that he does in That's the Way of the World that I loved. I love the tone of the bass in that one too. Yeah, I wrote exactly the same things. Like I wrote killer falsetto vocals loving the bass here um and i wrote yeah i wrote the definition of of funk bass playing Mm -hmm. on that song really really nice guitar solo with like a cool kind of clean tone which fit the vibe really well good vocals and uh like i said the bass player verdine verdine white i Mm -hmm. think was his name yep and really fantastic it was a clinic Like it was this whole album was a total clinic. And one of the things that I was doing in digging this up, did you realize this was a movie soundtrack? Yeah, I did. I did read about that. What movie was it for again? It's called that's the way of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it sounds like it was a pretty shitty B movie, basically about a band trying to make it big. And there was like a good band and then a not so good band and the not so good band got the gig because it was like a racially charged situation. Wow. Was Earth, Wind & Fire in the movie? Yes. Were they playing the good band or the not so good no, band? No, they were playing the band that was getting snubbed for basically like the white band. Oh, but really they were better. Well, it's fucking Earth, Wind & Fire. So yeah, they're so, better yeah. than most bands. Yeah. <laughs> they're better than most bands, especially like, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that it was... It was it was meant to portray the underbelly of the music industry. Right. Is what it was meant to portray. So Well might check that out. Probably I'm not, not. I'm not. But <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and take a hard Skip pass that one. on yeah. on a film that was shot in nineteen seventy. I didn't know that Earth, Wind and Fire were were, were in a movie. I didn't know that they were so. either, but they definitely are. All That's right. Kind of interesting. For my money, I um I did not add this to digital only because I didn't know how often I was going to be listening to it on headphones. And, the, and I'm definitely taking that into consideration with some of these albums that I enjoy, but I don't know how much I would listen to them. That's understandable. If I found this, <clears throat> if I found this at triple Z, like if I found this in a used rack and I could pick it up for under 20 bucks, I would do it. 
I would pick it up on vinyl. Yeah. Maybe I felt a little more strongly about it. I did add it to digital. Did you? If only because if this will, if one of these songs was to pop up and like a shuffle, I would never be disappointed. Yeah. You'd never be pissed about it. And I would absolutely buy the vinyl and I think it belongs on the list. Yes. Do you think this is the only earth, wind and fire? It can't be right. There's no way. Cause it doesn't have September. It doesn't have September. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, and whatever album September's on, I have to imagine that that's going to make an appearance on the list. But I don't think that, I don't think that that album is going to be higher than three hundred. Do you? No, no, I, I agree with that. Because I feel like the seventies in particular are a decade that I feel like, in some ways, this list wants to forget some of the music from the seventies, especially the late seventies when you have kind of that disco esque type of feel to music it seems like that music is just not going to necessarily show its face a whole lot on the list. Yeah, not as much. Outside of Which ABBA, is too bad. ABBA and the Bee Gees have to be on here somewhere. And I a, would think. a record from next week. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And obviously we'll talk about Chic next week and mm-hmm. and maybe even more Chic, right? Maybe. I'm not as familiar. Is there another one that's a big one? I'm not super familiar with the catalog either, but... You think there's another record from Sheik, I'm saying? That's what I'm thinking. I'm Hmm. wondering. Well, I'm wondering, I guess. Yeah. And maybe not. Maybe the album from next week, Risque, really is like their best work, and that's their quintessential work, and that's the only thing that we see. But Yeah. I mean, we've got 400 more. I wouldn't be surprised either way. There's a lot of slots left to fill. Yep. I agree. But as for this album, I'm, I'm okay with this placement. If it fell a little, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be hurt either just to make room for stuff that I definitely think is better on the snub list that we haven't seen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not upset about the placement at all either. I think it's pretty solid. I wouldn't want it to go too much lower personally, but, but yeah, it belongs here. Yeah. I would say. Yep. Belongs and, in, in the list. and in this general neighborhood is good too. So. Did you read this first one so that I would have to read Eric church? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I did that intentionally, but Ah, this is degrading. Okay. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we jump into Eric Church, I do want to talk because Rex, oh, yeah. Rex took the time in a very busy week to get him, to get us all of his stuff. And it was funny because he sent this to us on the 12th, which was almost a week ago. And he goes, I'm sorry that I was late <laughs> in getting this to you because he's, he's like, he's typically been staying so far ahead that he gets us all of his commentary. Like, was he talking about the week before that? Cause remember we, we made a comment on the podcast that he didn't send us the, oh. his shit until the, the night before. Yeah. That's and he true. sent that us and he was be. like, yep, sorry. I was late. guys." <laughs> um, Rex, you never have to apologize, buddy. Never <laughs> have to apologize. And for all those listeners out there, Rex is actually going to be joining us next week um, to go through Finally. the selections for next week. So yeah, so it'll be fun. And he's going to be in person. So it's not going to be like a multi-camera deal. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun to have three of us all in a room. It's going to be great. Okay, so he actually skipped the first track. What the fuck were you thinking? I can't believe that. I can't believe What th- the hell, Rex? I mean, and I'm hoping that next week he clarifies that he only skipped it because he was already so intimately familiar with Shining Star that he didn't feel. That has to be it. I would hope so. Um, but he says he skipped the first track and got right into the meat of the record. It's too bad that there's not more instrumental vocal groups out there. This album is a great example of just that. Falsettos, musical harmonies and melodies, the lyrics on all um, are on all about love are fantastic. And he loved the whole thing. So that's awesome. Now let's talk about Eric Church. <sighs> Coming in at 419 is Eric Church with Chief from 2011. 
Eric Church emerged in the mid-2000s as one of country music's best new singer-songwriters, and his third album rolled all of his gifts into a tight package that was rock-influenced, rough around the edges, and catchy as hell. Hungover and Hard Up shows the North Carolina native's abiding gift for drowning his sorrows in booze and melody, and on the classic Springsteen, he invokes Bruce's music as a way to access the passion of youth. The songwriting is so confident, even the ballads swagger a bit. So, Mike. Like g Easy. What'd you think? <laughs> um, this is this is the type of country music that I love to hate. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean it's like it's weird, poppy. This now I will say this: this doesn't have like that um, that hip hop flavor. At least of, there's no rap verses. Yeah, yeah, there's no rap verses on here. There's no real any hip hop influence, which I feel like has become more and more a thing in pop country music. So I could appreciate that. I liked the fact that if it was going to bend towards another genre, it was going to bend more towards like Southern rock, almost like yeah. a Skinnerty type sound. Yeah. He didn't go full Jason Aldean. No, he did not. And so from that, I, I do say thank you for that. But I mean, outside of that, um, I just, I, it wasn't, I wasn't crazy about, I wasn't crazy about much. I didn't, um, I, yeah, I just wasn't, I wasn't very crazy about this album. I did really, really enjoy the album Springsteen. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was the best written song. Lyrically, I thought the song was really, really interesting. And that was the only song that I kind of enjoyed his voice. Wow. I cannot say the same thing. <laughs> did you hate that song? I hated all of them, I'll be honest with you. But on that one, for some reason, he kept talking. This is the second or third song that he talked about high school. And it's yeah. like somehow, even though this guy is like an international music star, he still peaked in high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he mentions like, oh, high school with your high school sweetheart, you know, like a million times. Yeah. It's like, dude, get over yeah. that. Um. I mean, some of the shit that I wrote down, I was just... <laughs> I think you were probably searching to, to not say a bad thing, maybe. No. No, because on Country Music Jesus, I wrote, he's got that right. I need someone to come and save me. Yep. And I, I gotta, we got to mention, that is the second song on the record with Jesus in the title. Yeah. <laughs> we have Like Jesus Does. Yeah, Like Jesus Does and Country Music Jesus. That's two Jesuses. Now... I did like Jesus does. I did kind. I did enjoy his voice more in that setting. Um, there were that song was like really really drippy with reverb, and there was a slide guitar in there, which I thought was a little bit of a welcome change from what he had been doing on um, on the other stuff. Listen, yeah. I just didn't really. I didn't. I didn't like his voice. I don't like his voice at all. If there was one song I liked. Because I'm going to try not to just be boring and say only shitty things. <laughs> Jack Daniels I kind of liked. It's kind of a fun little classic, classical country kind of feel to it. It's just like a simple 1-4-5 song. And it reminds me of more older school country. And he's, it's just kind of fun little silly song where he talks about 
he wins all these fights, but he can't win a fight. But Jack Daniels kicks his ass, and it's about being hung over and stuff. You know, it was clever. Yeah, like, it was. It funny. was lyrically yeah. clever. So I didn't hate that one. And um, he has a song called "I'm Getting Stoned," and I like. Well, at least he's not like stuck in a lot of the outdated conservative ways that a lot of the other country artists. You know, he's like he's very vocally pro cannabis use. I guess. Yeah, although. Um Although on that song, I'm getting stoned. Um, like he never actually says that he's smoking weed. Did you notice that? Well, just during the chorus, I guess. Like when he says she's something rocks, I'm getting stoned. Yeah, but if you listen to all the other lyrics in there, like he's drinking. Really? And some and in other country songs, like I've definitely heard other country artists refer to being drunk as getting stoned. Yeah. I even don't know. Though, even though, like, in stoner parlance, like... Yeah, stoner, you're right, though. Like, no stoners would ever look at a lyric about, I'm, you know, I'm getting stoned and think that it was about drinking. But if you look at this within the context of the song, like, it definitely... Yeah. It's another, it's another song about booze. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess, like, just beyond that song, he is vocally yes, pro. pro cannabis. Yeah, so... Yeah. That, that's what made me think that that was the case but yeah well, i don't know for sure on that and but. just on balance on song title i would tend to agree with you but when i was reading through the lyrics as i was listening to it i was just i was surprised that there wasn't more overt talk of of weed if that's yeah. really what the song was about because i heard more about drinking um the song homeboy yeah yeah there was some more kind of clever wordplay in there but what i couldn't figure out was I couldn't figure out if that song was about, like, if the wordplay that he was using regarding homeboy, if, like, was he calling, the like, the subject of the song a homeboy? Was he calling them homeboy or was he saying, come on home, boy? boy. Yeah. Yeah, and that was part of the clever wordplay, right? But but just the whole idea of that, of that dude that goes away, like, the prodigal son story, right, was kind of rife in there. And so then when he comes back... Like, is he making fun of him? Like, is this guy like a, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Did he have like, did he have like delusions of grandeur and he's like fallen back to the, to earth? To earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good question. I don't don't know. know. But I mean, despite me trying to find the positive things to say, like, I really didn't like this record at all. And I mean, my first note I made on Creepin' was literally hate this right away. (laughs) And uh, on, on Keep On, I actually wrote currently contemplating suicide. <laughs> and then I like Jesus does. I wrote, God help me. <laughs> and then at the very end, when the song is the last song is called over when it's over, I wrote and thank baby Jesus. It's over because I'm over it. <laughs> I wasn't nearly that harsh in any, like I was, I was genuinely trying to find the good in this, but I can't lie. I'm glad I, you his, did now. His voice is his voice is just not for me. It's and, hard to get over. Yeah, and if you don't enjoy somebody's voice when you're, especially when you're talking about folk music or if you're talking about country music, Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, if you can't <clears throat> if you can't get over a voice for whatever reason, good luck. It's not going to happen. No, right? no, ma- no matter the caliber of songwriting, it's not going to. Yeah, Not much of an effect. And I and I do think that there's some really clever songwriting that's happening here. I don't know that I think that anything musically happening is all that amazing or groundbreaking, but especially lyrically, like his songwriting is 
it's not terrible. And I might even say that it's pretty good. But again, just from a performance standpoint, I just can't do the voice. Can't do it. And just considering the limited number of country records that's on this, it's insulting that this is on here. Yeah. There is a lot of good country music. Let's be very clear. I am not anti-country at all. Exactly. There's a lot of fantastic country music out here. And for, for this to be selected over countless others is just, it's a real crime. Now we could very well be in the minority with people that do listen to a lot of country music though, because Rex loves this album. Wow. In fact, like, so this is what Rex says, and I'm going to read the whole thing verbatim because, because JB and I have shit on this album enough that, that there are very clear other perspectives from people that have like, listen, I respect Rex's taste in music immensely. Like he's got really good taste. So he says the chief enough said he's one hell of a songwriter and performer in country music. He's like the country reimagination of Bruce Springsteen, which I find that a fascinating um, comment. But to this generation, um, kind of surprised it isn't his Outsiders album, but I think this is on the list because this is the introduction to the Eric Church image and writing we all know. They're all just, in my circle of friends, all well-known tracks with tracks slathered with his North Carolina accent and catchy choruses. He's got a great voice. Fucking, we're going to have words next week's Rex. He's got a great voice, band, and lyrics. This is a great album for a late night at the local Hole on the Wall on a Friday night. For me, it's an immense introduction to the man we know as the chief. So, obviously, Rex loves this. And I could see this album. I could see any one of these songs playing on a hole in the wall, on a hole in the wall jukebox bar, and I for probably sure. wouldn't think anything of it. Right, like par for the course. They would play. They would go, and I would say, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah, you know, but I'm not going to seek this out. I'm not well, going to go to a show. He made a comment about the band, and like, yeah, that's that one's hard to argue for sure. It's definitely a good band, but it's mostly studio musicians. You know, yeah. so. There's one guitar player in particular on this who I actually read about a little bit, and he's a country session guitarist, and, and he's really fantastic. He plays some great solos on this record for sure. Yeah. And so there you have it. I mean, I'm not keeping it on the list. There's <clears throat> there is no way that I would keep this over. It's not even approaching the top Just 50,000. Just pick me. any Sturgill Simpson album, and you can plug that in here, and I would be far happier. Yeah. Than with this album on there. No. And I'm super sorry for all those folks out there that like Eric Church, but it is just, what it is. Yeah, he's just not for me. He's yep. just not for me. But if but me I either. would tell you if you're only gonna and so okay, so I didn't add this to digital. I'm definitely not gonna hunt down this vinyl. But if you're gonna listen if you're only gonna listen to one song, I would tell you to listen to Spring Soon because I think that that's gonna be the best representation from this album. And quite frankly, if you already listen to country music, you probably would be screaming at your phone or car or speakers right now say no don't listen to that because i guess that was like the big single from this album that just broke all hell broke loose really with that yeah that was the big release that ever like that was the song from the album was uh, springsteen gotcha so sorry i guess i'd say jack daniels because it was the one i didn't dislike the least <laughs> yeah and you didn't <laughs> add it you're not gonna buy the vinyl of course. Uh, correct. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, um, I figured that went without saying. I figured yeah. so too. All right. Let's move on. Yes. 418. Jumping um, back a few decades to 1985 for the album Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. 
Mark Knopfler started writing Money for Nothing when he overheard a New York appliance salesman's anti-rockstar, anti-MTV rant. The song, of course, became a huge MTV hit, and this album shows off Knopfler's incisive songwriting and lush guitar riffs on hits like Walk of Life and So Far Away, as well as hidden gems like the Dylan-esque blues, The Man's Too Strong, and Why Worry, where Knopfler's clear, subtle plane flows like a cool brook over slick pebbles. So... I already said this at the top of the show. I fucked up. Um, this does not have Sultans of Swing on it. And so luckily JB saw that there was no Sultans of Swing and then dug in. Yeah. And I want to be really clear. I don't dislike Dire Straits. In fact, I really love Mark Knopfler on the guitar. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. I'm just tired of hearing Dire Straits or of hearing, <laughs> of hearing uh, Sultans of Swing, you know, um, is what I meant to say. So... It's just a vendetta against that particular song and not the band in general. So I was very pleased with this record. Now, so Knopfler, is he known for only finger picking or finger plucking? Is um, that a thing? Do you know anything about like his his playing style? I don't think he's known for specifically only that, no. But you okay. can tell he does that a little bit because he's so expressive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like he's just and I wrote this on several songs, like no matter what kind of guitar, you can have the exact same setup in your guitar rig. If you're a guitar player as Knopfler does, you could have the exact same guitar, the same amp, the same pedals, the same settings on everything. And you're not going to sound like he does because it's all in his fingers. He's just so expressive. He has a unique sound that doesn't sound like anybody else in my opinion. And it has to do with the way that he touches the string. So, you know, very well could be that he's like, that is something with, with 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 how he's plucking it. Yeah. Um. But I don't. I'm not aware of like any 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 uh you know in uh particular. Well, and I I mean I tried to do a little bit of drilling just to see if that's the only way that he ever plays. Right. Like if he like if he never plays with a pick, if he's only always finger plucking or using a combination of his fingers and his thumb, almost like a banjo type of style. Do you just find anything? No. Nothing definitive, and so that's why I figured I would I would ask you and see if that was something that was super common knowledge amongst guitar players that, well, yeah, of course, that's all Knopfler does, and that's what he's known for. But, but really, the guitar tone on this album is it's so instantly identifiable to me, and part of that was just that this was a record that I had when I was a little kid. I had this on tape. And, and especially the A side of this tape was something that I listened to so frequently. And so it just. It, money for nothing. huh? Yeah. Well, money for nothing so far away and walk and walk of life. Walk of life probably stands out to me almost more than money for nothing. And it just instantly transports me back in time to. That's. Yes. Yeah. Such yeah. a classic. I wrote. I didn't even know that was Dire Straits, but yeah. I knew that that you synth knew that line. song. Yeah, I did look it up, and he is apparently well known for mostly playing with his fingers. Although okay. occasionally he has played with with a pick throughout his career, he typically does play with his fingers. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, either way, good. Yeah, I um, good call there. Yeah, I'm all over. I'm all over the A side of this album. I mean, all over it, and. And it never occurred to me when I was young how prominent Sting is on Money for Nothing. Yeah. 
I want my MTV. Of course, like, and and again, I never thought about it when I was little because I wasn't into Sting when I was little. Yeah. But hearing it as an adult, it's like, of course that's fucking Sting. Well, you know what song that is that he's doing? No. It's the exact same melody from Don't Stand So Close to Me. Don't stand, don't stand so close to me. I mean, it's exactly the same. Like it, it is. It's intentionally that way. But I like how in the so a couple of things. I guess I only remember like the video edit of this song because this is a really long song. When you listen to the studio cut of the song, it's like six minutes. Yeah, something maybe like pushing that. seven minutes. And clearly, when they played this on MTV with the cute little um, video of like the appliance, like I didn't the, watch the video. Oh man, you got to watch the video because that video is a is a it's a such a time capsule to 1985 and that video in and of itself because of the because of the lyrical content of the song that song was just murdered by mtv they played that video all the time and it has like these like pixelated blocky looking appliance type of characters that are like moving appliances around and then they're bitching just like the lyrics right about you know Okay. Who's a little faggot playing the guitar on MTV. And, and that's the other part, right? Like just the lyrical content of that song. Is, is that what one. they say in that song? Yes. I yeah. didn't even realize that. Wow. Did you not listen to it? No, I did <laughs> like three times, but somehow I missed that line. I didn't pick it out. Yeah, no, he repeats it multiple times. Wow. He repeats okay. it multiple times. He's like, he's like, um, it's, it's in the second verse of the song where he's, where he's asking, Who's that little faggot on the TV? Who's the little faggot in the jet airplane? Um, Somehow that word didn't stick out to me. That's yeah. weird. And I, I liked this song a lot. So yeah. that's strange. It is strange. Mm. It's tough. In, yeah, it's tough in today's world, right? When you go yeah. back and revisit a lot of that stuff from the 1980s before. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that was the line. Lesbians. I was like, wow, Mike. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not. I, sw- I promise everybody, like, don't cancel me. I was just repeating yeah, the just, line from the song, I promise. Dire Straits, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just the mid-1980s where homophobia was just part of the, I guess that was just. Part of the culture. Yeah. yeah, it's just par for the course, especially with rock stars that are trying to get laid all the time. Yeah, so, it doesn't hurt at that time. Absolutely not. Um, I liked how they talked about Bob Dylan in the Rolling Stones description. Because that that definitely makes sense with the man's too strong, man's too strong. like total storytelling. There was a lot of war references on this on this record, mm-hmm. and that one is a definitely just a straight up story about that. Yep. Um. Yeah, kind of a twangy, kind of country esque, folky. Maybe folk rock is a better word for it on that one. Mm-hmm. What else stood out to you? There was a slap bass line on the One World. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, right across the river almost had like a reggae-type feel to it. Did you get that yeah. too? I wrote like Cajun-y, but yeah. Okay. Then I wrote I all, didn't think yeah. about cajun but yeah, you're right. Like that New Orleans-type sound. Well, with the world better. drumming and like like the synth melody kind of sounded cajun at the beginning, but then, yeah, the the, the bass line was, was reggae. I, I wrote exactly the same thing, actually, because the one, like the downbeat of each measure is just totally absent and like yeah. lots of space on the bass. That's not an easy thing to pull off to do that in time. And they did that well. Kind of reminds me of the police a little bit, actually. Yes. I loved the space in that song, though. In yeah. Right across the river. Really, really loved it a lot. Random trumpet lines. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
I also like the I also like the title track um, at the very end, like the um, the outro guitar solo for Brother in Arms. I really really liked. Um, I like the guitar and his voice in there. Yep, and more war, you know, imagery the theme if you lyrics. Will. Yeah, yeah. Just and I just wrote on almost every song, just tasty, tasty guitar licks. Like yeah. he just fill in so nicely. He's such a good guitar player. He's yeah. like he reminds me of Jeff Beck. A little bit but like a little different but like similar command over their instruments they're they're masters you know but not in a flashy eddie van halen type of really really in your face way like no. i think it's all really subtle yeah what he's doing but if you listen for it it's magic too it's like you know there's that balance between being flashy and showing off mm-hmm. and serving the song yes and it's like mark knopfler serves the song in the flashiest possible way. So it's like, he's like, (laughs) he's like, he's being playing incredibly impressive lines, but they're just like on that edge of like, they're not in your face flashy They're They managed to be exactly what the song needs. Yep. Yet he's still incredible. It's not, not no lick that he plays is easy, you know? No. Whereas like someone like, and I like Santana a lot. I'm a big Santana fan, but most of the licks that he plays are not super hard to, to repeat, Mm -hmm. but he plays them so well. Um, I feel like Santana's mystique is all in his tone at this point, right? Yeah, it's a lot in that. It's, it's that sound because he has that really. He just has a really, really unique sound that as soon as, as soon as you start to hear some of those notes come off, you're just like, oh yeah, that's Santana. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but like his stuff is highly repeatable. It's not difficult to learn to like. You could play an exact solo that he played pretty easily. But like Mark Knopfler, like this is complex shit that he's doing. But somehow it still serves the song. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So far away might have, again, almost instantly recognizable guitar tone to me, and it's a guitar tone that I just adore. Yeah, I mean, absolutely adore the guitar tone in So Far Away, and it's a really, really simple song. I mean, really simple, stupid, simple, just in terms of the overall strong structure. Yeah, but I just love the, I love the feeling of it. Like I yep. love, it's transportive. It kind of had that '80s like synth grooviness to it, yep. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. I, I um I already I I bought this record on vinyl a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Yeah. The um and I thought yeah maybe a couple of weeks ago I thought that I'd mentioned that I did pick it up on vinyl. Really happy to have it there. And I went ahead and added it to my digital catalog, kind of for the same reason why you added, um why you added earth wind and fire because i wouldn't be upset if any of these songs came up on on a random yeah you know what i mean like on a shuffle so yeah not at all yeah um i added it as well Mm -hmm. and i would totally buy it on vinyl would you yeah that's for sure yeah because i feel like everybody thinks i hate dire straits (laughs) i really don't hate dire straits i i just don't like souls Souls of swing swing. yeah I don't want to be the guy that that doesn't like Dire dire Straits. I I do like Dire Straits. (laughs) We do do have a guy that doesn't enjoy Dire Straits, though. Rex doesn't like Dire Straits? I'm going to have to describe this to everybody because the email is just Rex genius, the way that he writes the email. So he writes, Brothers in Arms, Dire Straits. Hold on. I'm going to figure out why this album is on this list. And then he probably strikes return... 60 times so that there's a nice delay for me to have to scroll to get to the next Jesus sentence. Christ. 
Um, the cultural the cultural importance that the band had in 1984, probably. This album is a bad portrait of easily listening music of the 1980s. This album is probably on the top 10 of Muzak's playlist. <laughs> yes, it had good instrumentals at time. It's a recorded jam session. Perfect example that I was once again wrong about less shitty albums on the list. JB probably really likes this album. What's I that supposed to mean? <laughs> He's throwing me under the bus. He totally did there. Yeah, he did. He threw you under the bus. All right, listen, I really like this album too. And for me, it's a combination of nostalgia and I just genuinely enjoy, I genuinely enjoy all of the songs on here, but I'm kind of glad that because Eric Church missed for us so hard and it connected with him so hard, I'm kind of glad that the exact opposite happened here. Yeah. You know, because it doesn't mean anything, right? Everybody's ears are a little bit different. And just because <laughs> we might love something, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to love it. And just because something doesn't work with us, like Eric Church, that doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't go out and pop on Eric Church and just be like, fuck, yeah, I'm yeah, in. I guess so. Not for me, though. That's funny. I got thrown under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I had to look it up. I will say this, though. I, I like the placement of this record on the list. I'm, I'm I would be even be okay if it fell a little bit closer to 450. Because yeah, because where I like it and I love it. You know, there's nothing about this record that I think it's great, but I would be okay if it slipped back a little bit. If you're only going to listen to one song, though, please listen to "Walk of Life." It's my favorite. Walk of Life. Yeah. <sighs> I would like I would normally say money for nothing, but, but you probably know that one. I'm a well. Everybody probably knows that one, and I there is, I don't know how to deal with I don't know how to deal with the homophobia, like, and that's a, that's a really stupid fucking thing for me to say because when this shit happens in rap albums from the mid '80s to all the way through to like the mid 2000s, I'm just like, oh well, it's hip hop, bro. Whatever. Well, I mean, but I'm way more willing to look at I'm way more willing to look at a band like Dire Straits and be like, we should cancel this shit, which is fucked up on my part. I mean, well, I don't know. it's okay though. It's a great song though. I'm I comfortable recommending it. I'm probably gonna. That's gonna be my recommend. Is money for nothing? Good. And but uh, well then listen to them both. We can you know we can uh, you know enjoy the song while not agreeing with that section. Yeah, while not agreeing with like the demonization of. Of yes, because obviously we are against that. Yeah, here on this list sucks. Just like racism, you know. Like, yeah, we're most yeah we're against that. Yeah, we're definitely anti-racism and we're definitely anti-homophobia. So yeah, speaking of that though, all that noise. Nobody sent us a voice message in a while. I know. We should solicit more of those. <laughs> Please some voice send us more voicemails. Yes, I do love playing them. I They're do fun. love playing them. They're really well done. So yeah, listen, if you want to interact with us in any way, shape, or form, you can do it via email by sending an email to thislistsucks at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail if you go to www.anchor.fm forward slash thislistsucks. You can uh, leave us a message. And we love playing we love playing the voicemails on the show. So, so by all means, if you want to interact with us in either of those ways, you can do that. And then you can also catch us on social. So Yes. Don't let us down, guys. Send us voice messages. Last time we brought this up, we got a bunch. And they were gems, too. And if you sent one before... Your mom still might be my favorite. Yeah. Because she pointed out the fact that, and I still do it, I can't break myself of listen. Oh, so you know what? Um, <laughs> Linda. 
who's a who said a yes. very made a very similar comment. She's the one that brought up that she wanted to have a drinking game every time you say listen. Oh, she wanted to make right. it very clear that it seemed like you like in the last episode that you were trying to change that because you were like apologizing <laughs> for it. They're not looking. They're not complaining about listen. They're just noticing. They enjoy it and they okay. want you to continue saying it. <laughs> and and they like a hundred percent too. So uh, <laughs> well, I will ch- listen, everyone. I will try and. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop while I'm ahead. All right. What do you say? You want to jump into Ornette Coleman? Yeah, I would love to. Let's do it. I would really, really. Let's love jump to. in. So, uh, yeah, we're keeping this on the list for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If it falls Sorry, a little Rex. bit, I'm not upset. But and yeah, and that's okay. Rex can replace this with a little bit with another Eric Churchill. I was gonna say that, but <laughs> too soon, right? Yeah. All right. I'll okay. 417, Ornette mm-hmm. Coleman, The Shape of Jazz to Come, 1959. Crazy. Well, I was just thinking, is this the earliest record on, we've had yet? No, uh, Bo Diddley, 1951. Oh, wow. Okay, the, but then this has to be the second. Interesting. Yeah, a yeah, little, little so. side note. I think so. Okay. Ornette Coleman's sound was so out there, one audience at an early gig threw his tenor sax over a cliff. Wow. He switched to alto. <laughs> where the fuck? Wait, where was that show at? I don't know, right next to a cliff, I guess. Right? <laughs> They're like, it's hey, like, hold on. Give me that fucking horn, Jeez. Give me that fucking tenor saxophone right now. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> throw it over this here cliff. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> he switched to alto and pioneered free jazz. No chords, no harmony. Any player can take the lead. It's still a jarring sound to encounter for the first time, but Coleman's freedom was grounded in the cathartic release of the gospel and blues of his native Texas. On his first album for Atlantic Records, his music can be just as lyrical as it is demanding, particularly on the haunting Lonely Woman. I feel like we're both going to like this one. This album smashed. Yeah. And I, and I don't give a fuck about anything that anybody else says. What'd you like about it? I love the fact that it was so unbelievably free and the bass player. God damn. Um, I, uh, Charlie Hayden, Charlie Hayden plays bass on this and he is a fucking wizard, dude. The speed that he rips off the walk in eventually. Holy shit. Mind boggling, dude, to be able to create that type of just, that speed, that articulation, and that improvisation. Because the thing to understand is that this is pretty much fully improvised. That song, without know? without yeah. without a doubt, every like every part of this record for the most part is largely improvised. But you know, you get repeating, you get repeating tropes in the rhythm section, which is not uncommon even in a free jazz, right? Yeah. Because most of the the real improvisation happens on the melody level. And so you get more repetition in the baseline, but on eventually that is, that is just a legit walking baseline where he is improvising that baseline based on the, the chord progressions and he's doing it at a speed and just a, and what he puts together is it's fucking good. Yeah. Really good. And this whole record is just the same instrumentation, I believe, on every song, which mm-hmm. is Ornette Coleman on sax, the trumpet player, 
the bass player and the drummer. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's almost bebop at times, but it's it's more than that. And it, that's the thing is, it's like I feel like this record's ahead of its time. At least, I mean, I was gonna say at least a decade ahead of its time. Yeah, and the difference with from this with with from bebop, which is another type of music that was very popular this time period and earlier than this, is there's no chord progression here. Mm-mm. Like so, bebop is is similar in in style with like the fast, flashy lines and the the walking bass and all that. But but there's a melody. There there's well there's melody here, but there's no harmony here. There's no chord okay. progression. Yeah. It, this is all melody. This yeah. this is all melody. And with, with whereas with jazz in general and and bebop, there's there's a chord progression that's easily definable. And that's the other thing is with this record is there's no chord instrument. So with, with most jazz, you have a piano or a oh, guitar. Fuck yeah, dude! I didn't even think about the fact that there's no piano or guitar in that rhythm section. So it's purely melody. There's no. There's almost no harmony, which is wow. So uh, Ornette Coleman actually had a, in a like a term for his style, and it's called harmelodic. But it, it actually really, even though harmony's in the name, it, it's implying that there's less. I, I read about what he means by that. There's not really harmony. It's all about how the melodies harmonize with each other. But everybody's playing melody at once. It, it's melody based. There's no it, there's no chord progression. There's nothing to bounce against. It's all just based on whatever you're playing. You know based on whatever melody that you know is being in the forefront at the time that's re that's intense yeah that's intense to keep a structure and uh, yeah that's the thing is that in it lends that itself to setting. lack of structure you know yeah. but w- this is a similar structure to a lot of other jazz and jam bands i gotta say which is that there's like a there's like a head riff that they play together and then they just go off yeah. And then eventually at the end they come back and they do like the little melody again mm-hmm. to close. Yep. But they sound like an early jam band, honestly. Even on eventually, I was like, I mean not in not in style obviously, but but in what they're doing, which is just they're developing they're they're doing motific development. So what I mean by that is you can listen through several times where like the like the sax player will play a line dun, 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 and then the trumpet will kind of pick it up and like play the same thing but then change tweak it a little bit and they're like developing these ideas in on the, on the fly in real time which is a jam band thing i mean that's what jazz in my opinion jam bands are derived from jazz quite a bit because that's what jazz was yep jazz and funk was improvisation and developing motivic development and i feel jazz even more than funk but like like funk maybe is closer to style of, of the jam bands but, yeah. it, but in terms of like the goal jet, in terms of the theory right? yeah and, and and yeah the the object of what's happening jam bands and jazz are the same which is to, to just like go to off and explore new. and find something and develop it once you find it improvisational you know? exploration yeah right yeah that's the hallmark of both what did you think about the use of the bow on piece, the third track? Okay. So that's what that was. I, I wrote down. I was like, is that a bow on the bass? I mean, yeah. That's what it sounded like to me. And there's no, there was no other, when I looked up the instrumentation from this album, it's exactly what you said. Now I never put to like, it never even occurred to me to think about the fact that there was no corded instrument in the rhythm section, Yeah, which is really, it's really uncommon. Yeah. It's you abnormal. Know, you typically for sure. don't see that. Um, 
but yeah, the bow on that bass line was really, really cool. And I loved the way that the bass and the sax played together on Peace on that third track. Yeah, I did too. And that was that was the kind of one that it almost started with like a little bit of a bass solo, right? Yes. Yeah, with that bow. And the bass ends up booking bookending that song because yeah. he brings the bow back on the back end of the song, basically on the outro with the bass. Finishes it off. Yeah. yeah. Which I loved. Focus on Sanity. I liked that one a lot. That was uh, fucking crazy at the top of it, right? Yeah. That the, with the little it's like a fluttery horn line, but it was a it was so, just wild. Most like, of the melodies are like you know, the the saxophone and the trumpet and playing the trumpet. together. Yeah. Good, yeah. But uh so I guess that song, Focus on Sanity, is actually what Ornette wanted to call the album. So he felt particularly mm. strongly about that track, I guess. Interesting. I love the ride work in the middle of that from the drummer. Like uh the ride work that he does there is really, really fun. Um Yeah, and then he even gets a little bit of a kit solo on the back, like the last minute and a half. Yeah, I, finally drum, drum solo, solo is what I wrote. Yeah, there's a little drum solo that comes in. Great close, though. Really, the, really great. The melody on uh, Congeniality reminded me of Star Trek. <laughs> I didn't make if, that note. If you listen like, back to that and you think Star Trek, you might notice it. Maybe I'm crazy. Okay. I don't know. I could be stupid. <laughs> no, probably am. Probably not. Yeah, I love this one, though. Um, really interesting jazz. And just like we talked about before, because of the lack of a chordal instrument, it's just it's just super unique. And it's risky, too, because it's like, you know, most of the time you have a chord instrument to fall back on mm-hmm. to be kind of your home base when you're out there soloing. Yeah. But with, with, with this, the only thing you have is whatever note your bass player happens to be playing at the, at the time is the only cross-section the only interaction going on instrumentally so like if you're soloing it's really all you and you're up it's up to you to fill space and the bass player is there to support you underneath but he's exploring too so and and really you have to trust that you know either the trumpet or the sax is going to is going to pick up and say yes to whatever the fuck it is that you're doing yeah and run it back around hopefully in a way that you like and that you'll pick up and that you'll hand off and vice versa all the way through. It's re- I mean, again, so far ahead of its time for 1959. Yeah. And again, that reminds it's me wild. of like jam bands because like a lot mm-hmm. of, the, a lot of the early jam band stuff with the grateful dead would go out and they would have nights where shit was working out and sh- nights where it wasn't. <laughs> uh, this is like a, the same kind of thing. It's like, you're taking a risk with a lot of these songs. Yeah. I'm really glad. Um, I'm glad you took that risk though. I would, I, um, I will. I'm gonna have a really hard time not picking up most of this jazz on vinyl because I think that vinyl suits jazz in a way that um, I don't know. I, I think jazz and country are almost better suited by vinyl than a lot of other musical types, if you will. But um, yeah, but just that harmonic richness that you're gonna get from those from those instruments. Yep. And I would do this. I would love this on vinyl. I don't think I ended up adding to digital because I was just like, I'd rather listen to it on vinyl. So I'm going to look for the vinyl. Yep. And I'll and spend I, that. And I felt the same way. I felt the same way and I did the exact same thing because I don't think I added it to digital. But that's not because 
It's not because I didn't enjoy it. It's not because I won't listen to it again. It's just because it's the setting that I will choose to listen to music like this on. Because this is a record that I would love to put on right before I get ready to make dinner. This is a record that I would love to put on, you know, if like if I'm having a dinner party or something like that, as yeah. people are coming over, like that's where I'm going to put something like this on. Or maybe even after I get done eating dinner and I'm getting ready to sit down and play cards with some people, right? That's when I'm going to throw some shit like this on. Absolutely. And people will look at me like I got four heads and I'll say, trust me, you'll love it. Yeah. Just settle in. Yeah. Had you heard of this guy before? Never heard of this guy before. That's another thing I was going to say is I feel like both of us are decently well versed in, in jazz. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like super into it, but I feel like we, most of the jazz on this list, I bet we'll know or not know intimately, but be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. We'll at least be familiar with the artist, but this one this one is not as big a surprise as Alice Coltrane because Alice Coltrane floored me with kind of what out she of left did. Field, yeah. yeah, but that was just more the bizarre instrumentation, right? I never thought about the harp. I, I never thought yeah. about the harp. I don't ever think about the harp, period. But then thinking about the heart in a jazz context, get out of here. Like yeah, she was Eastern doing, was influence crazy. and all that. Yeah. yeah, But again, she was doing that almost a decade after what Ornette Coleman is doing here. And that's what is the most mind blowing to me. He's doing, he's doing miles a decade before miles does miles. Yeah. And this is almost it, bitches brew psychedelic at times. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what it really made me think of is it made me think of when miles just started going down rabbit holes yeah. right on bitches brew and stuff like that. Um, Rex dug it. Um, he, he thought it was a great example of free jazz really liked it. He wanted it to be a little bit longer. I'm with you. Like I could have taken more of this, um but he liked the he so okay so he referred to the harmonization of the saxes through the album um and maybe he was just referring to like that what did what did ornette coleman call it harmonic yeah yeah harmonic um great great record to listen to and 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 rex is down with the vinyl too he thought it would sound even better on vinyl yeah i agree with him on so you want to wrap it up Yes. Because I th- I hope we can spend some time on 416. we got plenty of time. We've Let's been, do it. We've been working good. All right, 416 from 1999, the Roots album, Things Fall Apart. Rolling Stone says, The 90s alternative rap scene hit its high watermark as an album-length art form with this love letter to black music in the late 20th century. That theme is most explicit on Act 2, The Love of My Life, a tender dedication to hip-hop's redemptive power, but it's also there in the playful way Black Thought and Malik B bounce rhymes off each other, and then the beats that riff affectionately on everyone from Sly Stone to Schooly D in a kaleidoscopic celebration of musical soul. You had never experienced this album, right? Correct. What did you think? I was aware of, of Questlove, mm-hmm. you know, but not, not so much The Roots. I loved it, honestly. What would you call this? Because I've been thinking, of, like, I was thinking about this a little bit yesterday and some earlier today, too. It's a hard one because, I mean, it's obviously hip-hop, but it's it's live instrumentation for the most part. For the most part. Um, it's jazz-informed, and it's very conscious lyrically. It doesn't, you know... It's not silly. I don't know why. What would you call it? I legitimately now think of The Roots as a modern-day big band. Elaborate. You get a full compliment 
of truly unique instrumentation, right? So you're talking about a drummer, a bass player, a guitar player, a sousaphone player, a saxophone player, a trumpet player, a piano player. Interesting. A synth player, and then an MC. Now, they're an African-American big band, without question, right? So all of the big band instrumentation is playing everything from an African-American viewpoint, right? Like with all of those feels from that jazz-informed, right? Um, and then even lyrically, you're getting hip-hop on top of the big band sound as opposed to a Glenn Miller type of crooner. But to me, this is this is a modern-day big band. And they're just talking about different... They're talking about things that impact the African the African American community rather than talking about shit that white people care about. Huh. I kind of love that. I think that's really intelligent interpretation. I mean, it's they're so different. Because I think that it's dis, I think it's a I think it's a huge disservice to call the roots a hip hop act. Because that's not what they are. You know what I mean? Like at their at their you don't core. Think so? Really? Listen, I think it I think it ends up sounding like hip hop, but I think at their core, like they're more than that. Yeah, they're they're way more than that. Definitely in terms they're of the instrumentation and everything that they're putting together. Yeah. So much more. Yes. Um that yeah, that's kind of what I it's just because I mean, if you just call them hip hop, they get thrown into category with a lot of other stuff that is just so far below them <laughs> you know yeah and even even, <laughs> even even groups like uh and i liked these guys but like the far side yeah this is so much more than that to me um without a doubt and so one thing i noticed was c- compared to things like the far side not that these guys take themselves too seriously but they're for the most part pretty serious they're like they're not silly as much Occasionally, there's there was like maybe one or two points throughout the record where they were being kind of silly, like on the song Third Acts, there was some kind of silly silliness going on there. But they're conscious, they're intelligent, they're well spoken, and they're real musicians. You know, they're not they're not here to fuck around. Third Acts, did you hear Paul Revere in Third Acts? I don't know the Beastie Boys track. Paul Revere was that in there? Zoop, 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 zoop. I don't know if I picked up on that. No. <laughs> yeah, I totally heard that. Nice. I totally heard that at the end of that. Um, but there's also a story that goes along with that because I've only seen the roots one time and I saw them at Bonnaroo and it was the year that Adam Yauk died. And so they opened their set at seven o'clock at night at Bonnaroo with a cover of Paul Revere that I literally thought the entire farm was just going to explode into a fucking eruption of joy and happiness and wonderful. Damn, that's crazy. And it was amazing to see Malik B just totally crush fucking Paul Revere. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't Malik B. I'm sorry. Malik B hasn't toured with him in a long time. It was Black Thought. My bad. But either way. Black Thought's incredible. He's the one that does a lot of the vocals, right? Most of them, although I'm going to be absolutely point blank with you if you if you if if you didn't give me any lyrics i know that there's a distinction between the two but it's not a very it's not a very far distinction and so to me 
you know, if I was just cold without reading lyrics or anything like that, it would be really difficult for me to distinguish between the two between Malik B and Black Thought and even Dice Raw, because a lot of these songs have a third MC Dice Raw that that comes in and does does different verses. Does this, on them does as this well. album have Malik B on it, too? Yes. Because it has Tom. Black Thought on it, too. Yes. Most of these songs are a combination of Malik B doing some of the verses and then Black Thought doing other of the verses. And that's what I mean. Like the two in my to my ear, the two sound a lot alike. But again, I only knew the distinction because as I was going through this, I was trying to pay more attention to all of the words that they were using. Yeah. And just what they were saying and and try and just trying to dig in as much as I possibly could couple things i want to mention on this one the drums i mean quest love yeah are just fantastic throughout he does he like smashes. he has this perfect way of playing just a tad bit behind the beat mm-hmm. you know what i mean yep. and it's like I, f- I feel like you hear that a lot these days it's like slack like the like i don't know i thought of it as like slack hop <laughs> but it's like just yeah. very slightly behind the beat and it's like a hip sound that you hear a lot these days even but I feel like this is wasn't happening that much back in 1999, and and he was doing it. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I think I heard a stand up bass on the song Deidre versus Dice, number twelve. I'm pretty sure that's what that was. Yes. Is that what yeah. that was? Yes. That's what I. Well, that's what I wrote down, and I love. Um, well, but wait a minute, because I thought that I heard a fiddle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So in addition to. Okay. Both. Yeah. As long as you're saying that's a short and sweet one, little rap verse. Yep. But fiddle and stand up bass on that. Um. There were I starred so many songs on this one. What What were some of your favorites? Okay, so the standouts to me, Double Trouble, and that's just because I'm also a huge Most Def fan, and Most Def does a feature on Double Trouble that Mm -hmm. I really, really, really love. There's a marimba that's cruising around in the background on that song percussively that I absolutely love. But the Sonic, just the Sonic package that they've created in Double Trouble is one of my favorites. Ain't Saying Nothing New, which is a song right before that. I also gave a ton of stars on. Yes. Um, that had some incredible guitar part, The guitar, actually. dude. Yeah. The fucking guitar in Ain't Saying Nothing New is smashing. The whole rhythm section, though, is top-notch. But... They do this. They do this crazy changeup for the third verse in that song. Yep, which is wonderful. And then one of my favorite lines lyrically is when Dice Raw. So Dice Raw is the one that's doing the third verse on that, and he's the one. And he's the one that says, "I'm gonna shove a, I'm gonna shove a mic in your face like Ted DiBiase," which is like a shout out to WWF wrestling back in the day. And it literally like it just had me laughing. Like <laughs> I was laughing out loud. I loved it. Fucking hot. Hot, hot, hot. The song Take Heed, Y'all was a couple, or no, sorry, without a doubt that had the lines like, Take Heed, Y'all. Yep. Um, I just, it reminded me how much I love like crowd vocals in the hip hop. Yes. And it reminded me of Krong Ben actually a little bit, like just the really? vibe on that one. So okay. I think they were probably influenced. I mean, I think Krong Ben is, is definitely like hip hop influenced for sure. Without a question. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was high on their list of, in, of influences, the Roots. Yes. Wouldn't be surprised at all. I love Dynamite. Dynamite. The guitar part on that was incredible. Ooh. Jazziness going on there. Felt like a speakeasy, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. Felt like that song, that whole 
the whole vibe to dynamite just it feels like it feels like a speakeasy and that's one of those hooks that literally it's a terrible terrible double barbed fish hook straight into your brain yeah straight in there do you know who played a lot of the keyboards on this record no d'angelo fuck you serious yeah really yeah he played a lot of the keyboard parts i completely fucking missed that totally missed that when i was digging through all the shit on this stuff motherfucking d'angelo when he started releasing music d'angelo was it before this I'm going to look that up because this is 1999. I'm wondering if like this is how he got his start or if he had already released. I feel like he had already released I feel like he had already released his first record, but this was like during the hiatus, if you will, is what I'm thinking. When I search for D'Angelo, it's D'Angelo Russell that comes up. Uh-oh. What do you think about You Got Me? Oh, that's, that's because the... Google corrected me to D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> um <laughs> Sorry. You got me is the Erica Badu feature. Erica Badu, I love her, man. I know something so like laid back and and groovy and about her voice. It's just, it's just it never it's goes like, wrong, right? It's like quiet, but but not. Yeah, that, that that sounds stupid. I sound like an idiot, but I'm trying to describe. <laughs> I can't describe Erica Badu's voice in like it's it's like whispery in some way. I just love it's the really tonality tender. to her voice. Yeah, it's like really soft and really tender. The guitar line of You Got Me, I fucking loved. And then Eve does. Eve is the woman that's rapping the second verse on that track, which is really, really great. And then... Okay, that was... So that was... Okay. Yeah, that was Eve. Because I wrote down... Is that Erica Badu rapping? It's not. No, it's Eve. That Eve is featured on a lot of West Coast stuff. Like, I want to say that Eve did spots for Death Row Records fairly regularly. I think almost every song on this was in a was in minor a minor key. I'm not even sure there was a single major key major song key on song. this one. I'd buy that. Yeah, just interesting little side note. You notice that a lot with artists. Like there, I remember there's been a couple records where it was only major only key major songs, keys. and yeah. I find it's worth mentioning. I also I also am curious as to what you thought about the very. I mean, technically, it's not the very last track because the there was a hidden track from the CD that digitally they've broke out um, as the last yeah. you know, act for the end. But you're talking about Return to Innocence? Yeah, Jesus That Christ. was some heavy shit. Basically, it's like a, like a backing word. groove and a spoken word. It's like slam poetry. Yeah, and it's fucking But then dark. it gets a little more real than that. It starts out kind of slam poetry-ish, but then it gets like she's basically telling a story. It's dark, dude. It is super dark. It's like touches on domestic abuse. There's like some miscarriage stuff that, that they're talking about in there. Uh, and it's just kind There's of a sad rave. family drama story. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's just, I don't know. It, you you hit the nail on the head with, it, it sounds like slam poetry, but it's done in the most artistically respectful and beautiful way. And um, yeah. It's it's it it's the perfect it's the perfect nightcap for this album, and there's another song I want to figure out. Okay, so it's in a hundred percent Dundee, which is a little bit farther before that, um, because the title of this album shares a title with a really really famous piece of African literature, obviously called "Things Fall Apart" since they say since they um, share a title, um, but in hundred percent one 
in 100% Dundee is where Black Thought gives a shout out to Chinua Achibe, who's the African author that wrote um, the book, Things Fall Apart, which really, if you've never read Things Fall Apart um, by Chinua Achibe, you should do it. You've read it? Yeah. Huh. It's spectacular. I've not read it. it. It's really, really, I mean, it's probably some of the best African, like truly African literature that you're going to find out there. And it is, it's a fucking tough read, dude. It's hard. Hmm. It's hard. But like really, in really what way good. hard? Um, just emotional. Okay. You know, yeah. not like hard to get through, like in no, terms of, yeah, no, like it's incredibly well written, but it's just, it's just a tough story. Right. I mean, it's about native Africans and colonization and the fucking joys that come along with it. So yeah, it's a great novel though. I'll put it on the list. Yeah, you should. In fact, I'm gonna do that right now. Cause I have a going list on my notes, but I, I have a really hard time telling you what to listen to. If you're only going to listen to one, um, one of these songs in fact, uh, in fact, listener of the show, Heather Barkley, my sister was asking me when we were going to record this week because she's, she's now trying to sneak in like entire albums if she can. And she had listened to a couple of full albums for this week. And I told her, I'm like, listen, we're probably not going to record until Sunday. And so if you, you know, if you're trying to sneak in another record, cause I think she was trying to sneak in Ornette Coleman, which is absolutely worthwhile to sneak in. But I told her if she was only going to do one, um, to try and <clears throat> to try and tackle the roots, because I really do think that this is a special record in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I'm really glad I. It's going to be. I added it to digital, and it's going to be something I I check out. You know, a lot going forward for sure, and maybe some more. I'd love to dig further into the roots. Is there another roots record you like a lot, or is this the main one you do? Um, this one is my favorite, but I have to imagine that we're going to find more albums from the roots on this list really um game theory is also really really good phrenology is another one that's really really good um i can't i would i wouldn't tell anybody not to listen to anything from the roots yeah because it's all good all of them are wonderful even rex uh rex says black thought and quest love this record is a lyrical and cultural explosion it's impressively bottomless and magnanimous in its nature. Socratean in nature, the music speaks a lot of the nature of the state of the cultural world. Um, it's a great album on its own. Yeah, he loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be upset if this album moved up. I wouldn't be upset if this album moved up a hundred. I'd be okay with with seeing this at three sixteen. Wow, instead of four sixteen. It's Just, a strong statement. Listen, the roots are really unique in what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, really, really unique in the sound that they've created. I really like your big band thesis there. It's what they're. It's what they are, right? Yeah, they're well, a modern. Now that you put it that way, like, yeah, they're a modern day take on a big band because they're not just hip hop. You're right. That's almost like an insulting label, based on it's, what they are. It's a lazy label because right? I mean, because maybe like the result ends up being close to some other stuff that you that you, we refer to as hip hop, but like. What they're putting into it, it's just a whole different. It is lazy. It's it's. This is more. This is this is poetry. It's jazz. It's at times almost funk. It's it's all live instrumentation. They're a big band. They're a big yeah. band. Damn. They like you get the because you have an MC rapping over the top of it. That's when you get the instant. 
Oh, well, that's just hip hop. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's just the, it's the lazy tag of, oh, that's rap. They get pigeonholed because of that. Yeah. yeah. And it's the, it's the worst thing ever because, again, going back to that show where they open with Paul Revere, at another point in the show, um, uh, Captain Kirk, the guitar player for The Roots, who is a phenomenally talented guitar player, they fucking did a cover of Sweet Child of Mine. And he smashes everything that Slash ever does on Sweet Child of Mine. And what fuck what hip hop act is covering Sweet Child of Mine? Sweet Child of Mine. How about Zero? Yeah. Fucking none of them are. You know? So they're a special act. Super, super special act. So I would tell you to listen to the whole thing, but I guess if you're only gonna listen to one song, I'm gonna tell you to listen to I'm going to tell you to listen to Double Trouble just because then you get experienced, you know, then you get the pleasure of getting most F. Yeah. I think most F is special. I'm going to say Dynamite. I love Dynamite. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. Everybody go out and listen to both those tracks. Yeah. Or fuck it and listen to the whole record because the whole record is absolutely worthwhile. And this is, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're not at this point yet, but is, is this your pick of the week? Well, we can get there. Well, just because we usually don't talk about our picks of the week until we get to the end of the twenty-five. That's true. But that's a but. You seem to strongly enough about it that you can say for now, or, yeah. or as early as now. It's just, that this it, is your pick of the week. Yeah, it's just hard because I really loved Ornette Coleman, and I appreciate what Ornette Coleman did for jazz as a genre. But... And you really loved Eric Church, but. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, I could see, I'm going to scroll back here. There's a couple of contenders about why this wouldn't be the case, but I could also see this record being one that I say, yeah, it's my favorite out of the top 50 of these. Wow. Out of this 50. Just because I'm, I have a lot of respect for people that are doing something that nobody else is doing and the roots are doing something that nobody else is doing. Nobody else is even trying to do what the roots are doing. And then when you look at the message that they're sending at the same time, come on. It's a, it's a lot. They're doing a lot. Yeah. Those are good points. They're doing a lot. So, um, but what do you say? Do you want to preview Yes. Want to preview next week? So we uh, let's do next week, and then we'll talk about our bonus episode that we're doing right, today. Let's so do it. for next week, we are doing four fifteen through four eleven next next episode. Mm-hmm. Four fifteen is the meters look up high pie. Number four fourteen, we're going to be talking about the album Risque from Chic. Number four thirteen is the first Credence Clearwater revival record on the list. Maybe the only. Maybe not. Probably I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna say only. You think it's the only? We can I talk about one more. We can talk about bets next week, but I'm gonna say only. Cosmos Factory from 1970. Uh, number four twelve. We're going back to 1965 for Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Going to a go go. I wonder if go. that has a. Uh, I second that emotion on it. I don't know. I was just looking at the track list, and the one thing that it does have on it that um, I have to sing for you whenever I tell you the title is. Baby. Oh, you know that song? I like that. Yeah. I love that song. <laughs> and then 411, Bob Dylan, Love and Theft. 
Our first Bobby Dylan. Yes. An old Bob Dylan. Are you familiar with this album? It's from 2001. Yeah. Wow. So this is gravel. This is gravel, Bob. Wow. No, I'm not. Not at all. Actually, are you? I'm not. No, I'm not at yeah. all either. Not at all either. Um, but so some, good week. Yeah, good week. Good week coming up. And next week, um, I think I mentioned this at the top of the show. Friend of the show, Rex Todd, is going to be here in person. You did so, mention. Yep, he's yep. going to be here. So Rex will be doing that. Now I think we're going to take we're going to take a little mini siesta. Yes. And then we're going to come back for the bonus episode this week, which again, we're going back to the snub list from Reddit. And this week we're talking about, um, what the hell year is this? Like, I think 1995, I think. Exactly. Yeah. 1995. Elliot Smith's self-titled, not his debut. I think it's It's his second record. Okay. So his second record from 1995, uh, eponymously titled, right? So it's titled Elliot Smith. So tune in for that. That'll be live streaming to YouTube as well here in probably about 15, 20 minutes. So we'll see you in a little bit here. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. This list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. This list sucks. It sucks. Bye-bye. Goodbye.